Hey everybody, thanks for listening, and as always, thanks to our sponsor, KnowledgeBand, the leader in human performance improvement training and technologies. If you want the most advanced safety technology adapted from the human performance principles of the nuclear and aviation industries, then KnowledgeBand is error reduction that works. They were the first company to tie human performance to serious injury and fatality or SIF precursors. Learn more at knowledgevine.com. In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes cost much more than dollars, we bring you expertise from around the world to ensure that everyone goes home safe every day. The internationally acclaimed Oil & Gas HSE podcast starts now with your host, Russell Stewart. Okay, so today I'm at the Travel Risk Mitigation uh, Simulations and Strategies Conference. Uh, It's being held uh, at the uh, Transocean Offshore offices uh, here in Houston, Texas. And uh, I think we're going to have more than one guest on today. Uh, But we've actually just concluded the conference, and uh, one of the speakers was uh, Dale Buckner. Uh, Dale is uh, president and chief executive officer of a company called Global Guardian. Uh, Dale, thanks for taking the time to sit down here. It's great to be here. Thank you so much. Okay, so uh, this is, and I'm reading off the brochure here, this is an intensive interactive education for corporate travel managers. Uh, procurement, human resources, legal, and risk and security professions on meeting legal obligations and executing safe and secure business travel. And uh, Dale, I think that's uh, this uh, executing safe and secure business travel, isn't that what kind of Global Guardian is all about? Yes, sir. At its core, we classify ourselves as a duty of care provider focused on travel and security. So what that really boils down to simply is We are safeguarding travelers, primarily corporate and families, and we think about safeguarding them. Very simply put, um, we can track their location through flights and hotel reservations and active tracking on sat devices and cell phones and things like that. So we have situational awareness of where your travelers are, your loved ones are. Two, we wrap around a pre-travel intelligence brief so they know what they're walking into, what the threats are, what the medical requirements are, what the cultural kind of do's and don'ts are of that environment they're going to. Um, Three, we can provide security services, airport transfer, executive protection, medical support, all those things in country. Um, And if, God forbid, there is a medical issue, we have a global medical evacuation platform. All of those things tie together, of course. And I think when you think about corporate America post-COVID, we're starting to work again. We're starting to travel again. Uh, Conferences have come roaring back. So when you think about how the world continues to evolve, both here in the U.S. and abroad, all the different threat vectors that come with that, ultimately, if you're a corporation or you're a parent, you don't want to think about what happens if. And I think whether that's a car accident all the way up to you have people touring in Eastern Europe and Russia invades Ukraine. It's those scenarios that you simply don't want to have to think about. Lastly, when you think about, if I asked you, do you think Paris is a high-risk environment? Most people say no, City of Light, City of Love, great place. But yet, there's terrorist attacks, 2015 material event. When you think about Maui, you think about paradise. You don't think that bad things can happen in Maui. Obviously, they did. 
getting 221 of our clients off that island, uh, utilizing boats and aircraft in about 36 hours, is an example of you. most people just don't see those things happening, but yet they happen every day around the globe. So the beauty of the model is we're going to provide positive outcomes, whether you're hacked, you're kidnapped, you're pinned down, you have a medical issue, whatever that might look like, you now don't have to think. And we will do things that insurance platforms won't do or cover, and we'll do things contractually that most duty of care firms won't. And and I should have uh, pr- probably jumped into this a little uh, a little too quick. Your background uh, has prepared you extensively for this, right? Yes, sir. I, I think you know. I, I was in the military for 24 years. I was in the infantry. I was intelligence. I was a special forces officer. Um, one, I think you learn about the world, right? You don't have a, a centric view of the world. You have a very broad view and the realities of the world. And two, when you're running operations like that globally, this does prepare you for this global optic and this global presence and the ability to operate and deal with those, those different cultures and those different um, you know, regional and governmental requirements that are different than the U.S. And being able to navigate that being in special forces in the infantry and things like that really did prepare me for this, uh, you know, this trans transaction from the government to this corporate space. And I think most of your clients are oil and gas. Several of them are, but we're pretty agnostic. I've got clients in finance. I've got clients in consulting. I've got clients in tech. I've got clients in oil and gas. Um, we're across the board. Ultimately, if you either have an international infrastructure or you have a large cohort of internationally travel uh, personnel, then we're interested in becoming your duty care provider. Okay, so duty care provider. Uh, so you you deal with uh, HR, you deal with the travel department, yep. uh, you deal with what? Who? So there are four primary touch points. Number one is HR, because HR typically is tied to medical and insurance. Number two is the chief security officer is typically tied to infrastructure and the safety and security of personnel, and then that includes travel. Uh, number three is the chief information security officer who is trying to manage the cyber, the IT, and all of the things that are associated with that. And when people travel or go to certain markets like China, Russia, there's an, there's an increase in your cyber um, exposure, if you will. We, we support all of those uh, executives within the firm. And then lastly, it is a direct relationship in many cases to the CEO or the COO. So those are the four places that we inject into and build relationships within that corporate structure. And uh, it's, it's very important, you know, to, to the corporation for its, uh, for its reputation and for its security of its employees and all that sort of thing to uh, take this duty and care stuff seriously, right? Yeah, I think as you look at the world, we're more connected. The planet is uh, becoming smaller and smaller, hotter and hotter. And when there are major global disruptive events, that it affects more personnel. So you can avoid, uh, obviously, lawsuits. You can avoid reputational risk. You can protect your, inform- you know, your IP and what you're doing with whatever sector you're in. And ultimately, I do think the concept that corporate America is filling a gap that maybe governments had filled 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. In corporate America, there is an expectation by the employees 
that when bad things happen and they have exposure, that the firm is going to step in and provide some level of care to rectify whatever that threat might be and to get them away from a threat. And that is ever increasing. And lastly, post-COVID with this ever expansive work from home and dispersed workforce, there's also a duty of care expectation that whether I'm working from home or I'm working on the other side of the world, that if I have a something that is threatening or putting me in harm's way, that the company is going to provide some level of assistance or and or duty of care to that employee. So I do think you're going to see a material increase in the space. I don't think these problems are going away. They're going only going to accentuate and they're going to occur at a much higher volume uh, you know, year in and year out. We, we can statistically see that. So I think the importance of duty of care will only increase over the next decade. Well, and that's uh, that's actually critical right there. The the fact that uh, I I think or, or or let me ask you if if you would agree, but but even even in a the city of Houston with the crime and and all that sort of thing, my experience is 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 people are just complacent about this stuff and they yep. don't really aren't aren't aware and don't take it serious enough. Is yep. that a fair statement? Look, I think this is the human condition. We all think it's going to happen to someone else, right? And people are legitimately surprised when it happens to their firm or it happens to their family or it happens to them. It's stunning to me. You look at the Ukraine. We had been warning firms for 40, you know, 46 days. This is coming. Probability is over 90%. This is coming. This get ready, get ready, get ready. Most did not, and then all of a sudden it was a crisis, and they got bit. Whether it's the attack in World War II at Pearl Harbor, whether it's 9-11, whether it's the Ukraine, the fires in Malibu, the terrorist attacks in, in Paris in 2015, or the hurricanes, these things are unpredictable. Um, any data source or intelligence firm that thinks they can predict what's going to happen tomorrow, it's just not true. We have the largest intelligence you know, governmental agency and, and platform in the world. We didn't see 9-11 coming, right? We miss constantly. So if the largest intelligence platform in the world miss constantly, how is corporate America ever going to protect itself to know what's coming around the corner? It's not real to think that we can't even predict where the, the hurricanes are going to go. We have multiple models that give you a sense of where it's going next. But we miss where it's going to make landfall almost every single time. And the technology is fantastic. The reality is we're dealing with the human condition and these scenarios are unpredictable and information and data and alerts don't solve problems once there's a real crisis. So what does solve the problem? Having infrastructure and people in place in that country that speak the language, understand the culture, and can navigate it legally and operationally to remove your employees from that threat, whatever that might be. It could be fire, it could be they're sick, they're injured, it could be COVID, it can be a lot of different things. But once you get into a crisis situation, the only thing that solves that are people that understand how to navigate that environment to get you from point A to point B to get you away from that threat. It is the only answer. It's physical, it's kinetic. Sending alerts to people that are at the rock concert in Vegas when somebody starts shooting up the concert, sending alerts to say, are you okay and check in, doesn't solve the problem. Sending alerts to people in Afghanistan when Kabul is crumbling and telling them, hey, this is happening, 
if you don't have a physical answer, a solution of how to navigate from Afghanistan to Pakistan, legally cross that border and then fly out, you have nothing. You can have all the insurance in the world. You can track people. You can send them alerts. You can have all the intel in the world. None of it means anything once you cross that threshold into crisis. So you need a playbook. Oh, you need a playbook pre-crisis, during an operation, and post. And that's what you guys do. That's the core of everything we do. At the end of the day, we like to say we package services on our website and our brochures, and we explain it. We're using those tools to communicate to a, you know, the market and what we do. The reality is we actually don't sell services. We sell outcomes, a positive outcome, whether it is medical, whether it is cyber, whether it is kidnap and ransom, whether it is you're in a war zone or a conflict zone or a natural disaster. We're selling an outcome, not a service in reality. We, we, we forecast and communicate our services so that we can educate into the market. But at the end of the day, we truly are selling an outcome. Well, there you go, folks. Uh, Global Guardian. Uh, Dale, I, uh, I know you had limited time here, and I know you got to get back to some of these other folks, but just before we, uh, we do sign off, uh, I'm going to give you the opportunity to say anything else you'd like to say. But I got to ask you, I heard in your, uh, your actually, I, I got to ask you two questions. Uh, you had a slide in your presentation you're talking about Ukraine, but uh, I saw a little. Uh, thing in, in the slide, you were talking about relationships between China and Taiwan. Yeah. Uh, can you comment on that? Yeah. So I think everyone's watching. Everyone's wildly aware of what and how China is changing its policy, how China is posturing, how China is growing its military capability. And as you look at this constant escalation between the West and China, uh, no one has found an off-ramp yet. So when you think about this situation, yes, China internally has lots of problems, just like many parts of, of the world, many economies around the world. But at the end of the day, they haven't stopped this march to conflict, potentially. And they haven't stopped the open, openly stated goal of unifying the mainland with Taiwan. That being said, I believe that corporate America needs to start thinking about, very broadly, three things. Number one, how do I operate and start to prepare for an eventual disruption or the complete elimination of supply chain coming from China? Now, that day might never come, but it doesn't mean you should not be planning for it right now. So we've already seen disruption with the Russian-Ukrainian war in oil and gas, in wheat, in all kinds of different sectors, the tech sector, material disruption uh, after Russia invaded Ukraine. Much like that scenario, I believe that if you look at BP, them pulling out of Russia after Russia invaded Ukraine and leaving $30 billion worth of um, infrastructure and just leaving it and taking a loss. We need to be thinking about China in those terms. How do I operate in the short term? How do I operate in the medium term? And then how do I operate in the long term if I lose that entire market or I lose that ability of that supply chain support? If you're not thinking about that now, you will get caught you will be surprised, and you will put your firm in a very bad position. And your employees, as far as health and safety goes, wildly exposed. That's, that's, that's wildly exposed. Yep. Okay. Uh, then the second thing, uh, you, you mentioned you've been involved in, I think you said in your, in your talk, uh, 
14 different kidnap and ransom That's uh, right, sir. And, and scenarios? Yes, sir. Kidnap, ransom, and extortion. KRE is the kind of the, the new term, if you will. Um, this is both physical and in the cyberspace. Um, we've been involved in 14 of these. I have one ongoing right now uh, on the West Coast um, with, with China, uh, Chinese hackers. Um, each of these are unique. I think when you think about kidnap and ransom, most firms just go, we have insurance. The problem is no one ever reads the fine print. They don't realize that the actual bag drop is not covered, meaning the exchange. In many parts of the world, that's not electronic. In several parts of the world, Africa, Central South America, there is still a physical exchange. The people that are going to execute that exchange, that's not covered in your insurance. When you think about getting an employee back after they've been detained for, call it 72 hours to two weeks, um, in those scenarios, they might have PTSD, they might need to have an evaluation, they might have physical wounds, they might have been assaulted, all those things that come with that, they might need to be looked at from a physical standpoint. A lot of those kind of nuances of what happens if and when this really becomes real is what's lacking in the market or lacking in the space where leaders simply write it off and go, we have K&R insurance, we're good. The problem is they don't think through the realities of how long this could go, what costs are covered, what costs are not covered, and then most importantly, do they even build a relationship? Like, yeah, they're going to call a 1-800 number, basically. Have they ever met the negotiators? Do they actually understand the fundamentals or what their job is versus what the negotiating firm is? Have they thought through who's going to speak to the family? What is the messaging to the rest of the world, if at all? Will this be disclosed? If you're a public company, is there a disclosure requirement? Um, all of these things are the nuances of a kidnap and ransom scenario that most people just don't think through. Because again, going back to my opening statement, we're dealing with the human condition where most firms just go, well, that's never happened. Therefore, I'm not really worried about we have insurance. We're good. And then when it does happen and it's going poorly and things are failing and they're not keeping up with the narrative, they had, they're not informing the family properly and they're, they are now um, dissatisfied with the negotiation tactics... Now they're in a bad position. Yeah, sounds so like it, it. It's it's quite worth doing a tabletop, thinking through that, thinking through what is the general counsel's requirement, what's the chief security officer's requirement, what is the COO and the CEO, what is their interaction, how are we going to manage the family, how are we going to communicate what is covered, what's not, so on and so forth. All those things matter once the crisis starts. And I think, you know, you see the same scenario over and over and over. And you see the same mistakes repeated and the same over mistakes and over again. Over and, there's and, no... and it's all preventable. Right. All right. of it's preventable. It's just a matter. It's a fail, failure of imagination of what if. And when you box yourself in and you don't want to spend time on these things, even a minimal amount of time, you find yourself in a really bad position. Well, Dale, again, thanks for sitting down and taking the time uh, you guys are in you're in washington yes sir just outside of washington dc in a place called tyson's corner is the main headquarters and then we have a backup headquarters that's focused on camera surveillance and access control in charlotte north carolina and then we are connected to 134 international english-speaking op centers around the world okay well we will be sure and put your uh, website information in the show notes so people can reach out to you i guess you're on linkedin uh, I'm not, but the firm is. Okay, I'll put the uh, firm's LinkedIn yep. 
contact yes, sir. info. And uh, again, thanks for taking the time. Yes, sir. Thank you. It was great. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. Okay, folks, so uh, we're still here at the Travel Risk Mitigation uh, Simulations and Strategies Conference uh, at the Transocean Offshore Office in Houston, Texas. And uh, you just listened to uh, Dale Buckner, the Chief Executive Officer of Global Guardian, and uh, he talked about uh, the obligations and, and the execution of safe and secure business travel. Uh, I actually have the, uh, the coordinator uh, of the uh, conference, uh, Mr. Stephen Barth. Uh, Stephen, thanks for sitting down and taking the time. Pleasure to be here, Russell. Thanks for having me. Okay, so so Stephen, uh, Dale was quite fascinating, and, and everybody's all excited about his uh, background as an Army officer and all that sort of thing. And and so we go from there to, I'm now I'm talking to a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a recovering lawyer. That a recovering what I like lawyer. To tell people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so you have... Uh, you have a practice or you have a, a company, it's called Hospitality Lawyer? HospitalityLawyer.com. And so I, I don't practice anymore. That's why I'm recovering. Okay. But I've been a Now you do still teach law though. I teach laws that relates to hotels, restaurants, travel at the Conrad Hilton College of Global Hospitality Leadership at the University of Houston, right here in Houston, Texas. Okay. I've been there uh, almost 33, 34 years. So you've been recovering that long? I mean, <laughs> well, actually, I stopped practicing law many, many moons ago, but it wasn't quite that long. Okay. All right, so uh, this subject of, of risk and security uh, as far as, you know, traveling all over the world, uh, that's, uh, that's definitely a, a very pertinent subject for uh, health and safety. Uh, how did you get involved in that? You know, it's an interesting question. When I started HospitalityLawyer.com, we think of that business as Match.com for lawyers that want to represent hotels and restaurants. And so we were focused on the hotel, restaurant uh, community. <clears throat> but then the uh, American Bar Association, the National Association of Lawyers here in the U.S., they were... Uh, Actually, that's not right. It was the International Bar Association, Russell. Uh, they contacted me and asked me if I could do a talk at their conference in Buenos Aires, this is about 20 years ago now, on uh, a business's duty of care to its employees. What prompted that request was because the United Kingdom had passed their Corporate Manslaughter Act, which added some civil and criminal teeth consequences uh, when a business uh, knowingly or recklessly uh, sent their employees into harm's way and, and something went wrong. So that's how I kind of got started uh, just understanding this space. And then I met a guy named Bruce McIndoe who uh, started iJet, World Aware. A lot of your listeners will know those names. And um, I really learned a lot from Bruce about travel risk mitigation. And uh, Bruce is really kind of a futurist, and so he also, about five years ago, he figured out, look, it's not just mobile employees we need to worry about, it's all people. <clears throat> so I know we call it travel risk mitigation, but it's really people risk mitigation. But that's how I got started, was back then about 20 years ago. Wow. 
So this uh, this travel risk mitigation simulations and strategies conference uh, is this your first one, or you do these on a regular basis? Or we do. We let's see. We started these about ten years ago, maybe eleven years ago, and we were we cranked up to about five a year. So we were doing one in London every year. We did one in um, New York City. Chicago, San Francisco, and Houston, and usually about three quarters of a day long. And what makes them fun for us is they're not just talking heads. We immerse people in scenarios, and then they have to work their way out by looking at key considerations. And the other thing we like to really emphasize at our programs is <clears throat> we want people to learn to break down the silos between the different functions legal, safety, security, risk, HSE, compliance, travel, et cetera. We think it's really important that everybody work together when things go wrong with travel. You know, our motto is we hope for the best and plan for the worst. So we encourage people to develop playbooks when, for when things go go off kilter. We just had a big discussion with Dale about oh, did playbooks. You have playbooks. Yeah. yeah, we're on the same page on that and, for sure. And in fact, we we just finished this conference, and I'm actually reading from the uh, from the brochure about it. But it actually was the case. Uh, attendees will participate in forums, discussions, and real-world immersion exercises focusing on key considerations for current travel policy development, compliance, and traveler safety and wellness. Which is why I'm here, Traveler Safety and Wellness. Yeah, exactly. And we, we're happy you're here because we, and our discussion today, as you know, focused on women traveling primarily. Right, I mean, Everything right, we talked right. about applies to all travelers. But in, today we did try to focus on women, and particularly women offshore. And, you know, there's some real challenges out there uh, for that uh, set of folks. Well, there definitely is, and so uh, uh, one of the sponsors uh, of this uh, conference today was uh, the Women Offshore Foundation, uh, which supports women working on the on the water. For those of you who uh, who aren't familiar with it, and uh, so uh, Stephen, uh, we really appreciate you uh, inviting us to come here today. Uh, we're going to put uh, hospitalitylawyers.com. In the show notes, people can reach out to you if they want to get more information. Uh, are you on LinkedIn? I am on LinkedIn. Okay, yeah. we'll put your LinkedIn URL in there. Thank and, you. And so uh, thanks for sitting down and taking the time. Yeah, listen, real quick, if I may. Oh, if, yeah, if, yeah. Go just, ahead. Just, just as you're talking about those potential connections, we also have a travel risk uh, mitigation uh, LinkedIn group, if any of your oh, folks okay. would like that to join that. And so we try to keep, just try to keep, it's not, we don't do a lot on it, but we do post when things we think people need to be aware of, we'll post things on that. Well, you know, that, so. I, you know, I learned something interesting. I, I never had, had thought about this. And, and, and personally, I don't travel internationally, but my wife does. Um, but <coughs> thinking about, I, I just want to throw this in for for folks, because I I think this was uh, it was it was enlightening to me. If you're going to be picked up at you know an airport, yes, uh, and you don't know the person who's picking you up, here's some things that you don't do. Don't let them put your name on a placard. Correct. You need to have some kind of code name, or you need to have uh, something. Not your not your company's name and not not your name, so people 
cannot recognize you. And then make sure you pay attention to, uh, in fact, one of the things I said, you said you should, you should even have some kind of security or code word that the other Correct. person gives you to make sure this is, this is the right person who's picking you up. Because we just talked to, uh, to Dale. He was talking about being involved with 14 different kidnap and ransom. And uh, I think he said two of those had to do with, with, with taxi cabs. Right. Out of Mexico. Yeah. He right. did, yeah. And so back to the, you know, picking up the airport. Some people say, well, use your company logo. No, no, no. We don't want to connect the person with the company. So use, you can use a logo, but not your company logo. Right? So different things like that. Yeah, those are all the things we talk about, and how just, to keep people safe. And be aware and be careful. Okay, that's great. That too. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks for having me. All right, folks. Uh, I know we're going a little bit over time uh, today, but we're uh, we're still at the travel risk mitigation simulations and strategies uh, conference, uh, and uh, we've got one more guest we want to bring on right quick here. This is uh, actually uh, what we'll call uh, bonus material, but uh, I have as my guest Tricia Fratto. Now, Tricia, uh, Stephen told me I had to talk to you. Uh, you have. You have some kind of company. I don't even know what the name of it is. It's called Ethics Suite. Ethics Suite. Correct. Okay, so what is what is that? I, I, I obviously we're talking about ethics. Is yes. that okay? So we um, have been around since 2017. We have two different business streams. Primarily, we have a uh, misconduct reporting hotline, a web-based misconduct reporting hotline. Uh, where reports can be made completely anonymously. And then we have a case management system so that on the back end, compliance professionals can make sure they dot all the I's, cross the T's, conduct a proper investigation. And then we offer other uh, compliance-related software. And then on the other side, my business partner and I are both compliance professionals. So we constructed this to be you know, something for compliance professionals that was designed by compliance professionals, not just like software, like something that an actual practitioner would want to use. Uh, so we have that part, and then we do internal investigations, we do audits, we do trainings, and things of that nature. Now, is this for oil and gas companies, or are it's you for any company? For all com kinds of companies, completely agnostic. Okay, all right. Now, so, so when you say you have a misconduct hotline, mm -hmm. um, is is that something? Uh, when a, a company becomes a, a client of yours, then you set that up for them? Is Correct. that what we're talking about right. here? So we have, we have subscriber services. So that would be, they would have their own landing page. So, you know, we're a third party. We like to encourage anonymous reports and reporters to feel very comfortable with the process. So we co-brand with our subscribers and we put the reporting page together and all the materials they need to tell their employees and, you know, any of their stakeholders, here's where you go if you're experiencing any workplace misconduct, if you witness theft or fraud or violations of company policy. Okay. All right. And so then when you're talking about compliance, you're dealing with HR issues or, or what? Any issues that come up. So it could be like they were talking about today. It could be that people are feeling unsafe in a particular situation and maybe they're not so much comfortable with telling their manager or supervisor, but they want to let senior management or legal and compliance know about that. So they would submit a report anonymously so then the company can take steps to address it. And you guys have been doing this for six years now? 2017 we started, yes. Wow. Yeah. So your background? So I'm a lawyer. 
I started out. Oh, no, not another one. I know, I know. (laughs) (laughs) You can't swing your arms around in this room. (laughs) Yeah, I started life as a um, white-collar litigator, and then I moved over to government-facing and internal investigations. And then I went in-house to Starwood Hotels, um, where I oversaw anti-corruption and anti-bribery investigations worldwide. My business partner was, is a forensic accountant, so she oversaw all the fraud investigations worldwide. And those two topics kind of you know, walk hand in hand a lot of the time. Uh, so we spent a lot of time together. And then when Marriott came and took over Starwood, we said, let's go out on our own. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, good. And so it's been successful. Yes, yes. Well, that's a lot great. of fun. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you got any interesting stories? Oh, gosh. Do I ever. Yes. <laughs> Can I tell them? Not really. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe we can talk about them a little bit off air, and and maybe we'll we'll include your company's uh, uh, information, your website and contact information. You on LinkedIn? Yes. Okay, we'll put all that in the show notes, and and people can, can reach out if they've got a need for for these kind of services. It's really a pleasure to meet you, and I appreciate you you sitting down and taking the time. Well, folks, that's a wrap. As always, thanks to all of you for listening. If you could write us a good review on iTunes, Spotify, or simply just use the review link that's listed in the show notes, we would really appreciate it. Please tell your friends to listen. Post us on LinkedIn and your other social media. And also, folks, uh, if you find this podcast beneficial, then make sure you help us keep it up and running by reaching out to our sponsor, Knowledge Vine. Their website link and other contact information is also in the show notes, or you can contact me and I'll get you in touch. Uh, Because no matter what level your safety program is on right now, if you want to discover the best human performance improvement training technologies adapted from the nuclear and aviation industries, then KnowledgeVine is your dependable partner for full-service human performance and safety consulting. KnowledgeVine is error reduction that works, and we'll see you next time. Tune in next week for another engaging episode of the Oil & Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.